Well, good morning, church. I know, like me, you have all watched in the last couple of days with horror what's happened and is happening in Paris. And I thought it would be appropriate for us to spend a few moments this morning praying for the people of Paris. Um, So much bloodshed, so much tragedy. And uh, there are people right now that really, really need the Lord. And I'm sure there are churches all over America and probably all over the world uh, that are joining together to pray for the people of Paris. And so would you join me now? You can pray along if you like. You can pray with me as I pray uh, for these dear people. Father, we come before your presence today recognizing that there is evil in our hearts and there is evil in the world. And we pray, Father, for those who have experienced this terror and this carnage and this uh, loss of life so tragically, so needlessly. I pray, Father, for the families of those who were killed. Lord, would you bring them comfort and be their refuge, be their strength in days of uncertainty. I pray for those who, who perhaps don't know you as Savior, that even through this, this awful thing that the devil has brought about, I pray that you would work it for good. I pray, Father, that there'd be many who would turn their face heavenward and turn to Christ and seek hope and help from Him. I pray, Father, for those who are injured. We pray for healing in their body, but also emotional healing as they have to deal with with what they saw and what they experienced. Lord, I pray for the medical staff that is overwhelmed with hundreds of people uh, with serious and life-threatening injuries. Sustain them physically. Give them wisdom and discernment as they uh, minister to the patients. And then, Lord, we pray together for our leaders, for our president and for the leaders of the world. That they would have the courage and they would have the discernment to know what to do in response to this evil. I pray, Father, that in the name of Jesus, you would indeed help our leaders Uh, To take a stand. And now I pray for peace. For Paris. For healing. In that city. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well last week we started a new series called. Him. We're working our way through Colossians chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to that. uh, Chapter Colossians. Chapter 1. We're preaching through Colossians 1 and learning how to live for something greater than ourselves. Learning what it means to live for Him. So last week we looked at the first eight verses and we looked at the concept of why should we go? And we were talking about taking the gospel to the lost and here's what we learned. People who don't know the gospel need someone who does. And that's why we go. Because we've got good news about Him. We've got a gospel to share about Him. And those who don't know the gospel need someone who does. Because the gospel can't change anyone until they hear it. Until we take it to them. And so, when we decide to live for Him, we will take the gospel to them. That was last week. Now today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the Savior we need. I want to read the text with you, starting in verse 9. I'm going to work our way through the text, but I need you to understand something about the context. 
Verses 9 through 12, verses we'll read in just a moment. Verses 9 through 12 are in essence a prayer that Paul prays for the people of Colossae. It's a wonderful model of how you can pray for Christians that you know. In fact, I'm going to outline it for you as I read through it. But it would be a wonderful model for you to write down these five ways that you can pray for somebody you know. Perhaps to pray for your spouse. Five ways to pray for your children or your grandchildren. Five ways to pray for those who don't or for those who know Christ. And so let's just read through it and I'll pause and, and give you each of these five ways as we work our way towards our main text, which begins in verse 13. But right now, looking at verse 9, here's what he says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And well, what was he praying? Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So here's the first thing that you can pray for someone that's a Christian, whether it's your spouse or your children, your grandchildren or a friend. Here's the first thing to pray. Ask God to give them complete understanding of His will for their life. Ask God to give them complete understanding of His will for their life based on what we just read in verse 9. Also, here's the second thing you can pray. Ask God to help them live for Him. Ask God to help them live for Him. Here's what he says in verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. So that's a wonderful thing for you to pray for the people that you love who know Christ. For your spouse, for your children, your grandchildren. Ask God to help them to live for Him. That they live a life worthy of the Lord. It's a great thing for you to pray for your children or your spouse. Number three, ask God to help them to get to know Him better and better. Paul says in the middle part of verse 10, Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So pray for your your spouse, pray for your husband, pray for your wife, pray for your children, that, that they will get to know God better and better. Number four, ask God to give them strength for whatever comes their way. God, give them strength for whatever comes their way. Paul says in verse 11, he says, this is what I'm praying, that you'll be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So that'd be a great thing for you to pray for your wife for you to pray for your children, that, that God would give him or her strength for whatever comes their way. And then finally, number five, ask God to fill them with joy and thankfulness for what he's done. God, would you fill him, fill her with joy and with thankfulness for what you have done? Here's what he says, reading again in verse 11 and then verse 12. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and listen to this, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So you're just taking time at the end of your prayer to thank God and ask them that that He would fill that person with joy and thankfulness for what He has done. Great way to pray. Great model for you to use in praying for those who are Christians. I like the way he, He ends it there in verse 12. Thanking God... For what he has done. Now the question I have for you today is this. What has God done? What has God done? Paul says in verse 12. I don't want you to miss it. You might want to underline it in your Bible. Paul says in verse 12. That God has qualified us. To have a relationship with him. Great summary statement in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. 
who has qualified you. You might want to underline that. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's what I want to focus on today. Here's what I want to teach you today. I want you to know that God qualifies us to have a relationship with Him. I'm going to give you four statements in a moment that will explain that further, but that's the key statement I want you to understand. That's the key thing I want you to to take home with you. That God qualifies us to have a relationship with Him. Now, the word qualify means to become eligible for something by measuring up to a certain standard. Now, to help you understand that concept that we sometimes have to qualify for things in life, do I have any golfers here today? Raise your hand if you're a golfer or if you want to be a golfer. Pretend to be a golfer. All right, we've got some golfers. For those of you who raised your hand, how would you like to go play at the U.S. Open? Or the Masters? Wouldn't that be cool? i tell you what, let's do this. Next, I think it's in April, Masters, isn't it in April? Next April, here's what we need to do. You put on your best golf clothes, you get your golf, your golf bag, you make sure you got one of them nice little hats, and you know, make sure your shoes are really clean. We're going to go to the Masters next April, and we'll play in the tournament. All you got to do is show up, right? You say, hey, I got my bag, I got, I, I've got my equipment, I, I, I'm dressed for it. All you got to do is show up, right? No, you're not going to play in the U.S. Open or the Masters because you have to qualify for that tournament. Not just anybody can play there. You have to, watch this, you have to to earn a spot to play in that tournament. You qualify. One of the tragic mistakes that people make is they think they have to earn a spot in heaven. They go about life saying, I gotta qualify. I gotta qualify to get to heaven. I, I gotta do a certain thing. I gotta meet a certain standard. I've got to work my way up. I gotta work hard at it so I can qualify myself for heaven. And they spend a lifetime, listen to this, trying to do the impossible. They spend their lives trying to earn a spot in heaven. But there's just one problem. Our sin will always, everybody say always, our sin will always keep us from measuring up to God's standard of holiness. Always. In fact, the Bible says this to us. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that's a problem we all have. We all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are going to qualify. None of us are going to meet that standard. None of us will. And so notice in Colossians 1.12 that God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Here's what it says in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. God did for you something you could never do for yourself. Notice, notice the direction of the action. He qualified you. You don't qualify for Him. God did something for you. He qualified you. You see, I could never qualify for heaven. If I were to drop dead at this moment, right in front of you, and as you were gathering around my body, and I'm standing at the gates of heaven, and if, if St. Peter, I don't think it's going to go this way, but let's pretend. If, if St. Peter stood at the gates of heaven and said, Now, Keith, why should I let you into heaven? I said, Well, I'll tell you something. <clears throat> I'm married to Lisa Shorter. 
That wouldn't get me in, though that's a wonderful thing. That wouldn't get me in. I said, well, you know, I've been to seminary, actually been to two of them. That wouldn't get me in. I'm a pastor. Did Did you know I pastor at Mount Airy Baptist Church? That wouldn't get me in. And I could give them a whole list of things that I've tried to do to earn a spot. Be good enough. None of it would work. None of it would get me in. The question we all need to answer is this. Am I going to try to make myself eligible? Or am I going to receive what God did to make me eligible? He, the Bible says, qualified us. Now, the big question is this one. Are you listening? Here's the big question. How? If if there is sin in my heart and sin in my life, how does He qualify us for heaven? There's four things that He did that you can't do. Do you hear that, church? There's four things He did that you can't do. Here's the first one. Number one, here's how He qualified you. First of all, God rescued us from the power of Satan. When when God qualified you for heaven, He rescued us, the Bible says, from the power of Satan. Look at verse 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The word rescue implies that someone does for you what you can't do for yourself. If you could do it, you wouldn't need to be rescued. The very word implies there's something someone does on your behalf that you can't do for yourself. We're, we're all familiar with pictures of rescue. We've seen it on the news when we had the floods in, in the Columbia area. We saw pictures on the news of people being rescued from their homes and being rescued from their cars in the flooded uh, areas. In other words, they couldn't get out to safety by themselves. Somebody had to come do something for them because they couldn't do it for themselves. Whenever there's a major earthquake, CNN and all the other networks are there and they're showing pictures of, of all the massive rubble and there's always, always, always somebody or usually lots of people climbing around on the rubble, trying to dig through the rubble, trying to free people from the debris, trying to free people from the, the, the uh, areas where they are trapped because they can't get out themselves. They need somebody to come rescue them. You see, the term implies that someone does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The Bible uses that same word to describe what God did for you. It says in verse 13, for He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You know what that means? That means that you could never free yourself from the darkness of sin. You can never free yourself from the bondage of Satan. You could never on your own free yourself as a slave in sin. It's just impossible. Absolutely impossible. Let me show you this in Scripture. Put your finger in Colossians. Go to the left to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Verse 14. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual. 
but I am unspiritual. Notice how he describes himself. I am unspiritual, sold as a, as a what? A slave to sin. Paul said, let me, let me tell you something about myself. I'm a slave to sin. He goes on to, to describe that. He said, I do not understand what I do for what I, what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Why is that, Paul? Because I'm in bondage. There is something in me that I cannot remove. I'm in bondage to sin. There is a problem that I have that I cannot get rid of. I am in bondage. I, I can't get out of this. I can't get away from it. I can't change. There's, there's a problem in me. And the problem is sin. And so he says in verse 16, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is, notice this, it is sin living in me. You see, I don't just make sinful choices. Paul said, there is sin living in me. Then look look what he says in verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Some of you can relate to that, can't you? I know that struggle. I've experienced what he's writing about. Perhaps you didn't connect the dots and realize it's sin living in you. But Paul says that's the problem. Or it may have different names, but but the, the essence of the problem is this. Sin is living in you. That's why you're you're experiencing this struggle. And then look what he says. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer. I who do it, but here it is again. It is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law uh, at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. Don't miss that word. A prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then he says in verse 24, What a wretched man I am. Some of you know what that's like too, don't you? Sometimes it's even hard to look at yourself in the mirror. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched person I am. And then look what he says. Look at this word in verse 24. Who will rescue? There's our word. Who will rescue me from this body of death? You know why he was asking that question? Because he needed to be rescued. He was asking that question because he said, there is a problem that I have for which I do not have an answer. There is a problem I am struggling with that I can't get free from. I have a sin problem that I cannot turn loose of and it won't turn loose of me. And I need somebody to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Who will rescue me? And then he answers this question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God, Paul was saying, it's Jesus who will do it. You see, the gospel is the world's greatest rescue story. The gospel is the story that He rescues us out of darkness. He rescues us out of the gloom of Satan's kingdom. And I want to say say something to you. Listen, if that's all God did for you, 
If that's all God did for you was, was to rescue you out of darkness, to rescue you out of bondage of sin, if that's all God did for you, then you ought to live the rest of your life living for Him. But, He did so much more than that. There's something else God's done for you. Not just rescue you from darkness, from the bondage of sin. Here's the second thing that He's done for you. God transferred us into His family. Oh, this is about to get good. I want you to focus with me. Verse 13, second part. It says, and brought us. Not only did He rescue us, verse 13, but second part, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. That phrase, brought us, in the Greek language is the word used to describe a a deportation of, of a population from one country to another. It brings to mind the Old Testament stories of uh, days when one empire would, would win a victory over another empire. And, and the, the, it was customary to take the population of the defeated country, take most or sometimes all of the population of the, of the defeated country, and move them, transfer them to another country, to the conqueror's land. And Paul says that's in essence what God has done for us. He not only rescued us from the power of the devil, but He transferred us into His eternal family. Now I want you to get this picture in your mind. He rescued us out of darkness. Keyword out. He rescued us out of darkness to bring us in to the, to the, son, the kingdom of the Son that He loves. He brought us out in order to bring us in. The experience of Israel in the Old Testament is an illustration of this, of what God does. He brought the Hebrew people out of bondage in Egypt so that He could take them, watch this, into the blessings of the promised land. Listen, He can't take you into the blessings until He's brought you out of something. So He's brought us out of the bondage of slavery to sin so that He could take us into the blessings of the promised land. Is anybody listening today? Now listen, listen. If that's all God's ever done, we should live for Him. If God has brought us out of the bondage of slavery, that He brought us into, transferred us into His eternal family, We ought to live for Him. But listen, there is so much more He's done. Here's the third thing that He's done. The Bible says in verse 14, and number three, God redeemed us. In the Bible, the word redeemed means to free someone from something bad by paying a penalty or a ransom. Look how He describes it in verse 14. Let me go back to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 verse 14, He says, In whom... We have redemption. The word redemption again means to free someone from something by paying a penalty or a ransom. Now Paul is not suggesting that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan in order to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. That's not what the word means. The word redeem implies that by his death and his resurrection, he met the holy demands of God's law. That Jesus in essence bought our freedom By His blood. That's what the word means. In fact, we're told that in Ephesians 1.7. It says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. He, He has bought our freedom 
by His blood. He's met God's holy standard by His blood. Now put your finger in Colossians. Go to the right to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 18. And 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. There's our word. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But here's how you were redeemed. With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. And it was a debt I could never pay. He did for me what I could not do for myself. So get this in your mind. When when he says in verse 12 that God has qualified you to be part of His eternal family. He's qualified you. How, How has He qualified you? First of all, He has brought you out of the bondage of slavery. He has transferred you over into His eternal family. He has redeemed you by the blood of His Son. Bought your freedom through the blood of His Son. And number four, here's the fourth thing God's done for you. He has forgiven you. Verse 14, here's how He describes it. Again, back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption, and then the next four words, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness means to send away. It has the idea of canceling a debt. That you are no longer responsible for it. Christ has not only set us free and transferred us into His, for, into his forever family, but all of those things in your past, all of those things that you did that were wrong, all of those things that you're responsible for, when you are forgiven by God, you are no longer responsible for them. He has canceled that sin debt, not because you're so good, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Satan, and here's what that means. If it's been canceled, Satan can't point to it anymore. Now he tries to. But when Satan goes through the files trying to find something on your past, there's nothing there. God has forgiven you. God has canceled that debt. God has removed it from you. He has separated you from it. A psalm says He separated you as, from your sin as far as the east is from the west. So forgiven means this. You might want to write these two words in the column of your Bible. Here's what forgiven really means. It means it's gone. It's gone. It's just not there anymore. In God's eyes, it's gone. You say, well, wait, 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 Pastor, but I can... I mean, I can see it like it was yesterday. I'll never forget it. I, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so, I'm so guilt-ridden by it. I mean, it's not gone. It's right here. I know. I know that's part of your problem. You see, one of the belittling lies of Satan is Satan wants to tell you you are still dirty. Satan wants to tell you you are still guilty. Satan wants to tell you you are still unworthy. It's hopeless. But God's Word is saying, no! When God qualifies you for heaven, 
You are no longer dirty. You are no longer guilty. You are no longer unworthy. When God qualifies you for heaven, you are forgiven. Sins are forgiven. And what God says you are is what you are. What Satan says you are doesn't matter. What God says you are is what you are. And the Bible says you are forgiven. Now you see, but the devil doesn't want you to understand that. He doesn't want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to claim that. He wants you to give up. He wants you to go back to the old you. Leviticus 26.13 is a verse you might want to write down and claim. It's a wonderful promise that I think applies to us even today. God says in that verse, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves of the Egyptians. I broke the the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. You're no longer to be slaves. I broke the bars of your bondage so that you can walk with your heads held high. You are no longer a slave. You see, this could be your day. This could be your day when you experience what we've been talking about. You say, well, no, okay, if God has qualified me, verse 12, God's qualified me. If God has qualified me by these four things, He brought me out of darkness, he, he has transferred me into His eternal family, He has redeemed me through the blood of His Son, He has forgiven me. If God has done all of that for me, then what do I do? Here's what you do. Are you listening up in the balcony? Down here on the lower floor, you listen? Here's what you do. By faith, you accept it. That's what you do. God's done for you what you could never do for yourself. God did four things for you that you could never do for yourself. And by faith, you accept it. Imagine, if you will, that you're in one of those cars and the water is raging and and the water is starting to fill inside your car and you're terrified. You can't get out. You can't free yourself. And all of a sudden there's somebody knocking on the window of your car. He has a rope tied to him and he's he's one of the, the, the firefighters that's there trying to help you. And when he reaches in to get you you got a decision to make, right? No, not really, because a crazy person would say, no, I'm, I'm good. I think I'll, just, I think I'll just stay here. You say, no, I don't really have a decision to make. Oh, yes, you do. Inwardly, the decision is, thank you, I trust you. Rescue me. And when God is there, knocking on the heart's, your heart's door, You've got a decision to make. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. Stop trying to be good enough. You'll never make it. The decision is, thank you for rescuing me. Because I recognize I would never qualify on my own. 
So today at the invitation, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you that invitation to come to this altar and say, Dear God, you have qualified me. I accept it by faith. I'm going to stop trying to be good enough. I'm going to stop trying to earn a spot in heaven. I'm going to stop trying to qualify myself. I accept what you did for me by faith in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. I accept it. Thank you for rescuing me. Then those who have already experienced that. Christian, listen to me. Christian, you've already experienced that. And the whole purpose of this series is to say, it's time we live for Him. I've just given you four reasons why you should. Because He did four things for you you could never do for yourself. And now it's time for you to live for Him. Amen? Let me pray with you. Father, You have been so good to us and may this be the day that someone is forgiven. May this be the day that someone realizes that you qualify them for heaven. May this be the day that someone stops trying to be good enough for heaven. May this be the day they recognize Jesus is the Savior we all need. And Lord, I pray this also be the day when there might be some Christians who would say, I need to change my focus from me to Him. I need to do something for Him because of all He's done for me. And so Lord, I pray for Your Holy Spirit to work in this time of invitation. Move as only You can. And may Jesus be honored. May He be glorified. And I pray that in His name. Amen.